Welcome to the Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us. Today, we are fortunate to have on the show with us Mark Kurtz. Uh, Mark is a, a partner in Gage, um, a digital marketing agency. And uh, Mark has been involved in digital marketing since well, a sufficiently lengthy time. That he can, since he can the dawn of time. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome Seems to the like show. It. Yeah, Welcome thanks, show, Joe. Mark. Thanks, Mike. Good so to for, be here. For us who don't know, I mean, about digital marketing, and I'll put myself in that bucket. Um, tell us, like, tell us what, tell us what you do and how you think about it, and and what what the big problems are today in digital marketing, and how video is shaking things up, and how all the, the proliferation of new channels, and then the the channels, you know, erupt, and and then and then go away, and then like, what do you if you're the if you're the chief marketing officer of a company, you're trying to figure this out. What do you how do you think about it? Yeah, that's, there's a lot in the, that question. I think what's little bit of background. So I've been fortunate to do, enough to do startups in three different continents, Asia, Australia, U.S., and now advising a company out of Europe that's actually looking to move to the U.S., which is great. Um, the biggest challenge we've seen over time is, you know, how do I drive engagement? You know, you talk about marketing. How do we drive behavior? When you look at what we do as an industry, we're basically social psychologists. You know, why do people make decisions they do? Why do they do it in mass? And sometimes it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. And we look for patterns. We look for in, in different ways that we can engage. And the biggest challenge we see with um, the chief marketing officers today is they have a lot to worry about. They have a lot to be concerned about. When we looked at early days, you know, we had pretty easy channels that we could reach our audience through terrestrial TV, linear TV. Now we've got OTT. We've got all kinds of different ways we can engage through video. Live videos is huge right now for, for our brands. You know, they had radio, and radio's still relevant, but do you put all your money in radio? No. You know, you have to distribute that on a lot, across a lot of digital channels. So whereas, you know, I started, you know, in the startup world, we had, you know, maybe a dozen real viable options in digital. Now there are literally thousands. And if you're a CMO and you're trying to figure out how to spend your budget, it's extremely complicated. Very, very complicated. Well, so it must, it probably most of these decisions are just driven by sort of the, like your target demographic for your product. Maybe Do you, does it does it does that how is that how to back into the if you're trying to figure out which channels and where to deploy capital do you look at your target audience and then try to figure out where they are and go there? Yeah, and I think especially the emergence of all the digital technology that we do have, um, it used to be a very big exercise to do qualitative research, persona studies, etc. Now we can do segmentation across. Millions, if not you know, thousands, if not millions of individuals in real time. Um, and as a CMO, as a VP of marketing, you're being asked by your board now to show effectiveness across so many different segments. It's no longer three or four personas, you know, a buying segment. It's almost to the one-to-one -one individual. And the technology is now there. And again, it's with all the different startups that are happening. You know, as CMOs, and we advise CMOs for very, very large Fortune 500 brands, it's um, important for them to be always experimenting, always looking, always testing budgets on new things, while also maintaining, you know, their existing, you know, marketing campaigns. It's it's become a very, very difficult job. So let's just talk about, I mean, I mean one of the, I suppose you'd agree with me, one of the new channels that's erupted in the digital marketing sphere is the podcast. I mean, would you agree with that, Colin, or no? You know, the value of the podcast for our brands is you can really have a deep discussion, kind of like this. It's it's not limited to 140 characters. We can actually have uh, discussions that could last hours on a deep subject, and you can reach a very niche audience. 
How do you measure that, though? What's the measurement tool for that? Or is there one? Yeah, there one? you know, probably one of the best examples, and it's a podcast I've been listening to for, uh, this will date me a little bit, but for about 11 years, uh, This Week in Tech, Leo Laporte does a really good job of understanding his audience, uh, the promotion codes. They, when I started listening to that podcast, they would actually have people mail in money if they thought it was valuable. And, and, uh, <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. They would say, hey, if you think this is valuable, send us 10 bucks or whatever. I, I have some of those old podcasts on my, on well, my it's iPhone solic- 3. Well, it's listening feedback. Yeah, it is. And now they, um, you know, they, they are, I don't know if they're turning away business, but they have a very, very solid um, media company. It's a media company in the future. And it, it's, it's funny because I've been, I feel like I've been part of that community for a long time. And so they do, they do, well, how, so how do they, I got to go study this. So they send out like the discount, like voucher codes and. Oh and that, yeah. Now that, you know, if you see, they were, I think the first advertiser, you know, this is how you monetize their podcast. I think Squarespace was one of their first advertisers. Right. And of course, Squarespace now advertises everywhere. And it's a very interesting model because it's subscription based and it's, it scales very nicely. And now they just, um, you know, if you like what you hear on the podcast and you go to that site, you just put in your redeem code, uh, and then you can measure that very, very effectively. So, okay, so they found a way to measure effective oh, yeah, audience yeah, engagement. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. so it's possible to do it within the podcast. Oh, are yeah, there, absolutely. Are yeah. There, there must be, I was thinking about this the other day, I was thinking about um, sort of new things that are difficult to measure. Uh, like, what comes to mind when, I mean, are there, I suppose that a lot of new things are difficult to measure, or is that not true? Or, yeah, it, it depends. You know, as a startup, um you have very limited budgets, right? And uh, you're not going to compete with the big brands that are spending a lot of money. What we advise startups on how to drive engagement is you can find out pretty, you know, to a very good level who your audience is if you're active on, uh, you know, content creation through social, right? So, for instance, let's say I have a new new startup I'm launching. I'm driving a lot of audience engagement. I've got followers on various social media networks. And, again, it's not limited to just the major, uh, you know, you can have a variety of, of uh, social media networks. I can now have a conversation, in air quotes, conversation one-to-one with that audience. So I can have targeted messaging going to that audience. I don't have to spend a lot of money to reach my audience right now. And that's, that's I think, the real advantages to startups today as opposed to when I was doing it 20 years ago is it was very hard for us to engage with our audience. Right now, um, there's a lot of very compelling technology that can help me be better at engagement and not have to spend a lot of money. I'll give you an example. Sorry to interrupt. There's um, uh, the Seattle Interactive Conference just happened here last last week and um, working with a firm, relatively small startup, and they got 4,000 mentions because they were targeting their audience uh, very closely during that conference. So that's that's huge. That's a huge impact for them. So this is kind of a lower budget um marketing that that a startup could take advantage of we're talking about things like being active on social media and like are, are you talking in terms of like facebook advertising and like what, what do you see as some of the yeah, best opportunities yeah, for, yeah. for a small company to, yeah, to market Mike, all, all related uh, you know one of the the best techniques we see is when you um have a dialogue email still works by the way email still an important component of that relationship um, but for instance, if I can look at not only my follower base, but also my competitor's follower base, uh, we look at terms like data stitching. So I can take, uh, you know, uh, a handle. I mean, I'm pretty easy on Twitter. I'll just do a plug for myself. It's Mark Kurtz. It's my name. A lot of people don't have their name as their handle on Twitter. So how do I match that handle on Twitter or Facebook profile or Snapchat or Instagram profile to actual real person? Um, 
there's a lot of technology um, out there now that allows me to say, oh, Joe, you've got, you know, 18 million followers. You know, out of those 18 million, who are the top 500 that I really need to talk to? And that's relatively inexpensive now. Before, that would take months and a lot of money. Now we can data stitch that together and actually get that to a real person, to a real profile, and also understand the adjacent um, interests that that person has, um, who their influencers are, and market directly as well as indirectly. So, what do you what do you think about this? There's a new kind of, I guess it seems new to me, a new type of marketing where you kind of engage directly with influencers on social media and, and possibly even pay them money to shill your products or talk about your products. And it seems like it's becoming more and more common and maybe even a little controversial because it's not always upfront about whether it's advertising or not. Um, what do you think about that as a, as a means of marketing your product? Um, yeah, it's dangerous. Um, you said, as you said, Mike, it can be very, very controversial because we've seen numerous examples where people say, hey, you're popular. Can you... Um, you know, we'll pay you a certain amount of money if you talk about our product in the air. And there's, there is a fine line there between just an endorsement as opposed to an authentic endorsement. Uh, actually, it's not that fine. It actually is a pretty important line. Um, is the danger in, in authenticity and yeah. effectiveness, or is it also kind of illegal? I've heard there's some legal Yeah, issues. you do have to disclose if you're being, you know, paid to, uh, um, you know, talk about a product. Um, again, it does come down to authenticity. I mean, especially in, in, in social, where People can, you know, it can become uh, very interactive very quickly where if you say something wrong, it can spread, you know, right. virally. And I think people, reputation is important. So I think it's, it is important if you do have a product you're trying to look to get endorsement. I think you need to be very uh, open, authentic, and, uh, and it takes time, too. It really does take time to build relationships. Just like any, you know, friendships you have personally, it does take time to have those relationships with your audience. So it does, um, it's something that you have to respect. And as we say to our brands that we support, you know, we are uh, humbled by the fact that the most valuable asset we are stewards for is our brand. I mean, it is the brand. You know, as a startup, your brand is everything. And usually it's the startup person <laughs> when, when you're first starting. It's, it's almost tied to the individual. Yeah, so I think influ influencer marketer influencer marketing has become this big deal. Right. And um, yeah, and then the FTC has some things to say about <laughs> say about disclosures. And what what's odd about it sometimes is, I mean, a NBA player can wear, you know, or a baseball, you know, basketball player, whoever, whoever can wear a can wear a pair of shoes, you know, that are Adidas, and like, there's no disclosure that hey, Adidas is sponsoring me. But if you're on digital media. And uh, you're, you've got a great new shoe company, and I'm, I like it. I'm wearing it, and you guys are giving me some free ones. I'm going to say something nice about your shoes. I've got to disclose. Yeah, it seems like double standard. There's this assumption yeah. that I don't know. It's just kind of weird. There's something about visual things that are only visual. It's almost like a different set of rules apply or something. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, if you can, if you can only if you can, if there's no words. If it's only the picture of you know jordan ducking the basketball with the nike oh yeah if you're, if you're carrying a certain brand with you you're not even talking about it you know is that does that count yeah and it does and we see that also <laughs> i mean think about uh any tv shows or movies where it's almost uh, this is a ridiculous product placement where the label is turned exactly in your face whereas if it's done subtly i think people like oh okay i cannot figure out what that is yeah i think that i don't i don't know i've spent some time studying the ftc rules yeah, tough, about yeah. this and it is Strange that I think they they apply in certain circumstances, like they apply to the blogger who who blogs about you know some dog food or something and doesn't divulge that 
you know, they're getting the free dog food. Um, there's, it seems to be sometimes there's a little bit of a double standard that goes on. And maybe because the technology is new uh, and maybe because this is a new thing and we're just making up the rules about it now. Uh, and we're not going back and evaluating some of the older rules. I, I have no idea. But anything. Anyway. Well, that's what keeps it fun. And, and Joe, that's why we need you. <laughs> keep, yeah, us on, exactly. keep us in compliance. That, but that, that is a good point. I mean, you know, part of the uh, – when you talk about digital marketing, um, and part of what I do at Gage is we um, have had – you know, compliance is a big issue, especially in doing promotions or contests or sweepstakes or games. And everybody thinks it's the same thing when you talk about promotion. No, they're vastly different. And they're vastly different by state. And they're vastly different by country. And if you're looking at doing a, a global type of promotion that might include some type of monetary value, you know, lawyer up, basically. You know, because one mistake and your brand could suffer. Right. Yeah, the rules on prizes and sweepstakes are really complex. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the promotion law is, 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 you know, people think, oh, it's easy. I just launch a, a sweepstakes and, you know, and I'll get thousands of people signing up and, or millions of people signing up and off I go. Now you have to be very careful as to you know different compliance rules and everything like that. Right. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting rules around that stuff. I used to do a bit of that when I was back at the firm um, before I sort of left and went out on my own. And um, yeah, that that kind of uh you know not to give this is not legal advice because the uh, the law is different everywhere and, and including from state to state. But the but some of the general thinking on it was that in order for a promotion like that to be legal, um, it, it needed to have uh, two out of three. Uh, components it needed to have either uh, either it needed either uh, either well if it, I guess if it had a prize uh, it could have two but not three of the th- uh, well let me think let me think how it worked it's been a long time long time since I've since I've thought about oh, this right yeah it, it was it was uh, if it was if it was chance based uh, uh, if there was a prize and if the person paid something or or offered up some kind of consideration in order to participate and you could only have um, well, what is it? I think you'd only have two out of the three. Like, so if, if you, you can have a, a, a game that's fully based on chance and you give away a prize, as long as you don't charge someone for it, uh, you could, you could charge someone for it and give away a prize as long as, as long as the outcome wasn't based on chance, if it was just pure, a pure game of skill. And then I guess you could, you could have a game where people pay and it's based on chance as long as you don't give away a prize. So like, as long as you don't have all three, you were in, in, decent shape in a bunch of the states and that was always kind of how we looked at structuring that stuff yeah and especially if you're a startup and you're looking at you know growing an audience of you know people that want to sign up they're expressing interest as you said there mike it's you know the the basic premise is a sweepstakes is chance and you have certain rules and regulations around that florida is very difficult new york's very difficult california is difficult as you can imagine you know big populations a contest is where there's actually judging criteria and again that has to be consistent um, and then you have games, which are, again, almost a game of chance as well. Um, then we see a lot of startups do these, um, what we, t- we call charitable co-ventures, you know, CCVs. And that's basically, if you do something, we will donate on your behalf to a charity of your choice. Very easy for a consumer to understand. On the digital marketing side, there's a lot you have to do. And you have to have alternative ways to enter, blah, blah, blah. And it varies by state, varies by country, uh, varies by secretary of state for each state has certain rules. And... Um, Again, it's it can be very, it's a very effective way to get your brand exposure out there. Um, you know, people see these every day, and you know, enter to win, blah blah blah. Um, but it has to be done right, and it's yeah. Not- it seems like you're you're compounding it because uh, you know, doing a sweepstakes right requires a lot of careful stepping, yep. and then giving doing any kind of charitable work or charitable promotion also requires a lot of careful stepping because there's lots of regulations to try to protect against you know scam charities. That's so exa- yep, that's exactly so you're right. With yeah. Both. 
both sets of regulations at that point. It sounds like yeah. a double. Yeah, and, and the spirit is to protect the consumer, you know, yeah. and that's um, and that stuff that's been around, you know, for a while. So, so talk about video. Video is like the live video, at least like Facebook live video seems to be kind of a big deal. Um, I mean, that and that sort of just erupted on the scene. I mean, I forgot when Facebook launched live video. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it, it, live video is one of the most fascinating things we're seeing right now. It's the concept is easy to understand. Um, hey, I, I uh, you know, I see something happening here, you know, in Seattle, and I, I get out my cell phone and and take some video, and then I send it to CNN or whatever. Um, now everybody has a pretty high end camera in their palm, right? It's no longer that barrier to, to capture content is is gone. The, the issue, though, is that there's so much content. How do you curate it? And how do you make sure you can curate it so it's relevant? Um, you, know, you see all the major platforms now supporting live video. Of, of course, you know, YouTube, um, uh, Facebook, now Twitter. Twitter is now you know, live streaming uh, big brands like the NFL. You know, Thursday night NFL games actually pretty good. I was, was watching it. Um, and thought, wow, I'd actually, this is my first screen. You know, my TV's not my first screen anymore. The, the screen I have in my hand is my first screen. Right. <laughs> and if you want to know that experience, I have two teenagers. Just look at a teenager and how they interact with, with content. It's, it's, you know, a couple feet from their face. It's not the big screen that's sitting there, you know, in the back room. Um, the issues of live video is, you know, we have uh, the expectation that it has to be good quality and also has to be timely. Um, and you want to make sure that you have, um, you know, if you're getting a thousand feeds, I, I want the three best. You know, how do you how do you go through that um, in a timely fashion? If you're a sports, you know, live sports is probably the most popular one we see. Live news, um, but also as a brand, um, most of our brands are, are doing some type of event. You know, they might do a, a global conference. They want to capture as much energy from that while it's happening. Um, of course, you can look at e-gaming. Esports is huge. Of course, you know another reason for uh, relocating some of these companies here in Seattle is because of the esports that we have with um, you know cloud-based computing with Xbox and and uh, uh, Amazon with their acquisition of Twitch, Twitch.tv. Those are audiences of hundreds of millions of people. Huge opportunities for startups in that realm, and you're seeing that on a daily basis here within you know, even within five miles where we're sitting here, Joe. You know, you're seeing startups erupt. Um, on a weekly basis. Um, what we're looking at is that long-term is, you know, engagement with content. People like good content. Um, they want to feel like they're part of a community. And, and how do we monetize that for brands moving forward? You know, think of the Uber of video. <laughs> and I hate that phrase, the Uber of, but in this case, you know, there's a very clear definition for, for me, which is how do you get the best content for people to say, all right, I'll pay this amount of money as a brand to get this content if you happen to be there or if you can provide me the best um, uh, coverage of this news event, this sporting event, um, et cetera. Um, and again, there's, does, a lot, there's a lot of disclaimers and, and legal that has to go along with that too. How does, how does coverage of an event, like a live event, factor into the marketing uh, strategy of a company? Like, so a company that's maybe not related to that. I, I guess I could, I guess Red Bull might be an example. They seem to put on lots of events meant to sort of boost themselves up and associate themselves with like the extreme sports and things. Is, is that what you mean? Or, or like wh what is an example of something that a company could do live video wise that would somehow improve their brand? Yeah. Um, here, yeah. That's, you know, that's a great um, question. I think it's best to, you know, tell that with a story. So um, you know, we just had the Olympics right in Rio um, a company that's uh, relocating here. It's called make.tv, make TV. 
and they work with Fox Sports. And the way they monetize con- content there, I mean, NBC had the digital distribution, had the rights for all the content, right? But it's a news event. So they would, you know, in each country in South America, they would report on what's happening in and around the Olympics, you know, not inside venues or anything like that, because that was another broadcaster that had that. But they were able to monetize uh, or distribute content from within their studio and have that be streamed not only live to linear TV, but also simultaneously stream it to Facebook, Facebook live feeds, not just one Facebook page, but multiple Facebook pages, same content being consumed differently based on what country you're in. So if you extend that out, um, imagine you are a fan of this team in country, let's just say Argentina, and um, you're watching this you know, kind of news broadcast or you're watching this broadcast of information around on the sporting event. You would want to see monetization on Facebook as far here's a link to buy that jersey. Here's a link to buy tickets for that you know, for your team in your country, you know, based on, because we know <laughs> pretty much where you're coming from if you're on Facebook. Uh, that'd be a different call to action if you're in Brazil or if you're in Colombia or if you're in the United States or Mexico. But it's the same content. And that's where it gets exciting for us as an agency is that we can now look at different ways to leverage something they're already doing and monetize it across numerous properties. Um, my issue is that, you know, for a lot of these brands, they own that, they own that uh, content. So, you know, yes, you need to share it where the audiences are, i.e. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, et cetera, those big ones. But you also want to own your property as well. So don't just be exclusive to one content monetization area. Like just don't go to YouTube or just don't go to Facebook or just don't go to um, Instagram. Make sure your content can be distributed across numerous endpoints um, and viewable through any type of device. I mean, that, that, that's, that's where we see the future. And it's, it's already happening now. And we're seeing that the CMOs that are really, you know, looking at the future as far as media engagement, that's, that's where it's going. And that's where we're seeing that actively going on right now. And it's, it's really exciting. It's, it can be difficult, but uh, we're getting there. You know, and that whole monetization of content is, is a big, big deal. So in that case, the content itself is the product these guys are creating, right? So it's, it's, in this case, it's about how do we market our, our content and, and monetize our content. Does the same opportunity, like how can someone who whose core product is maybe a piece of software or a game utilize video and, and live video to market something other than the live video? Is that is that also a good option? Or, or yeah, is, if, if you're looking at, let's, let's, let's pick games because this is a real one as well. So let's say I have a new game. Let's say it's, a, um, oh, let's say it's on an Xbox. Um, I, and there's, there's huge audiences for this where people are watching other people play video games. If you go to twitch.tv, uh, keep in mind Twitch is owned by Amazon. So if you are looking to monetize, you'll probably monetize that by going to an Amazon store to buy, you know, your Xbox game. However, if you are Walmart and you are promoting that game, you probably don't want to promote somebody to go to Twitch. <laughs> You'd probably want them to do it, do a conversion on your e-commerce site or if you're Best Buy. Um, you know, if you're a startup and you're launching the game, you probably want to, as much of a, of a presence as you can. Yes, Amazon is, is big when it comes to e-commerce, obviously. Um, but as a startup, you want to get as much coverage as you can across that. Um, if, you're mon- if you're launching, let's say, a non-digital product, if you're a startup and you're looking at, you know, something uh, that's maybe not a, a digital deliverable, how-to videos, um, people using your product, um, instructional videos, um, just content on how people are engaged with, with how your product works or supporting, et cetera. 
um, with a lot of technology you're seeing now, you can set up 24-7, you know, a lot of video feed or video feeds that maybe have content that's just being um, recirculated every 24 hours, but maybe an hour a day is live. Um, mm-hmm. So there's these, these my, I, have, I have kids, right? So I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and it, it's, it probably doesn't say a, a lot of great things about me as a parent that I let them uh, watch YouTube on their iPads, but they both have iPads, and they have this kid's YouTube, which is like a, a kid's version of YouTube that that they put out that is limited to kid's content. Um, so that's supposed to be somewhat filtered, um, which is great, yep. but what's, what's strange about it is kids' YouTube is absolutely dominated with videos of adults playing with toys. Um, it's just uh, unpacking, unpacking, unwrapping, playing with toys, and the kids are mesmerized by just watching people open and play with toys. And it is it is weird. Um, but it also, like, and I don't know that they're paying for this, but it is it is how they find out about what toys they want to play with. It's how they find, it's, it's, it's really strange. I think it's the equivalent of when I was a kid, we used to flip through the Sears catalog. They had like a Christmas catalog and you could look at all the toys. Same thing. They're just they're shopping for toys by watching people play with them, and it's a uh, I don't know I guess if you're marketing toys maybe there's some way to leverage that. Although I, I think this is kind of strangely organic, and, and I don't think it's paid. I think it's just it's um it's yeah. from that psychological you know impact of you know the surprise. I mean, think about the emotions you went through opening presents as a kid. You know, mm-hmm. I, I went through that, and it's like you're watching somebody else. You're trying to experience that same emotion. Wow, I need that. I mean, yeah, I've seen. Those. Well, we see it for adults too. When you get the new iPhone, I gotta unpack the iPhone. Look yeah, at me it's unpacking videos. <laughs> yeah, I always thought those unpacking videos were really pretty cool. And yeah, so I and that's fascinating, Mike. Actually, um, that's it's strange. Really it is it. strange. Yeah, and you can and again, they're not doing those live. You know, they, I'm sure they, I'm sure they streamed it live at one time, but they record that content and now they can reuse well, that talk, content like, everywhere. I don't, I don't know what the right number is, but I, I want to say, you know, it's millions and millions of views on those videos oh, yeah. because, because my kids watch the same one over and over again. They're just, you know, when you're, when you're four years old, you just yeah, like, yeah, it's fascinating you just can play on it over and over again. Um, yeah. So I think they just rack up views and I think it's a, it's a very interesting genre of, of, of video. Um, it's, it's really strange. They also have some where they basically, like you said, kind of opening and fi- it's a surprise as to what's inside. They have lots of videos where there's some kid or a grown up or a kid opening up like some kind of a blind bag or like a Easter egg, like Easter egg, plastic Easter egg with something inside of it. And you don't know what it is until they open it. And it's, I think it's just like content. It's like content specifically for four-year-olds because it doesn't really, I don't think it appeals to anybody over that age, but it's, it's sort of perfect for that. Oh, and you can, you know, and there are so many qualitative studies on, you know, what resonate qualitative and quantitative, you know, what resonates with different audiences, you know, male, female, you know, um, four months to four years to, you know, 132 months old, you know, t- things like that. Um, and that's the thing about video. I mean, it is so compelling because it's the sight, sound, and emotion all at the same time. Um, and we like to say people don't read. Not that they can't, but it's it's people like visuals. Um, you have to, it's, We're a visual society. You have to be visual, especially yeah. with your brand. I guess we should wrap up soon, but one more question for you on the video side, especially because the audience is sort of, usually on the startup side, maybe not a huge budget. you have any advice for people on how they can, it sounds like you've been involved with, a, with, with agencies and, and maybe the creation of some of this content. Right. Video, in my opinion, has always been kind of hard to do right. 
um, you know, it's, it's, um, compared to audio. One of the reasons we do a podcast is because we don't have to worry about lighting. We don't have to worry about like, you know, how, how it's all framed. Um, so, so, I mean, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on how people without a huge budget can make good videos that are, um, that are effective, but don't cost a lot of money or don't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I also have a face for radio, so that, you know, that's why video scares <laughs> me. <laughs> but in fact, uh, YouTube has realized this too, that having quality video means that they get more viewers. So they, they YouTube and other organizations are putting together little, um, uh, seminars on how to take good video. Uh, if you are, um, and I'll, I'll get back to the startup question, but if you are, um, managing a channel on YouTube with over a million subscribers, and there are a lot of them. YouTube provides you free training at various um, uh, labs they have throughout the U.S. and throughout the world. You know, how to position your camera, how, you know, use of thirds, you know, um, color, and not necessarily color correction, but, you know, what makes good lighting, et cetera. So, so it'll be, um, uh, you know, look a little bit more, you know, professional. Um, for startups, um, yeah, again, one of the great things about all the technology that's coming out, I mean, it used to be you had to have a... a uh, you know, expensive video switching board, you know, you had all these cables for SDI connecting your expensive cameras back and forth. Um, we just were working with a startup in LA. Um, they did a six camera shoot, um, which is a pretty, you know, complicated shoot. It had, uh, two kind of cranes. Um, if you looked wow. at, if you looked at doing that again, it's a startup with about seven people. If you looked at doing that, uh, even five years ago, that'd probably be hundreds of thousands of dollars. They had for their shoot, and I kid you not, four iPhones and two iPads. Wow! And they they're doing this through the cloud. You hmm. know, I mean, and and they were broadcasting it around the world. They had audiences from, you know, twenty three countries all at the same time. So they were broadcasting an event. They had six cameras in various places, and then someone sitting at some kind of a iPad or computer doing control board, like kind of switching between the views. Yep, all all in the cloud. Yeah, there, there's no hard, no hardware involved at all. Um, and that's, that's what's really exciting because now you're looking at extending, extend that out if you're a news organization, extend that out if you're a big brand and, you, and you're doing a big conference and you've got you know, all these people that can contribute um, yeah, and yeah. capture. Send them all out with, cam- with cameras and, and then switch. Yeah, is, is there a piece of software that, I mean, is there something out there that makes that easy? Or, yeah, or, you know, I'll, I'll put a shameless plug in here if you, if you don't mind, but it's, you know, the technology we've been using is called Make.TV. And it's, uh, again, it's... Oh, that's it's, the company you yep, mentioned. Yeah. Yep. So and they actually uh, do that. Yep, yep. In fact, if you want to set up your own kind of virtual video studio, uh, broadcast studio right now, you can do it in two minutes. Yeah, maybe we'll have go. to try that, Joe. Maybe we should do a live, a live video yeah, show. Yeah, in, in fact, that'd be something we, we should explore that because it, we've seen very, very compelling results. And again, we're still in the early days of how to monetize all that, but it's it's a natural extension of what people are doing with linear TV. And in fact, it augments and integrates with linear TV. So if you're a big broadcaster like an ABC or an NBC, you know, they're all looking at these types of technologies. And there's a, you know, it's just, it's a fascinating area now because um, it is so easy to get, you know, live video into, into your message now. It used to be, you know, very, very difficult. Now it's like, wow, we can actually extend this. It's given us as an agency a lot of options. That's awesome. Well, any parting thoughts or ways people can reach out to you if they want to get in touch? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly uh, uh, hyperactive on Twitter, but uh, people can reach out to me on Mark Kurtz dot, or at Mark Kurtz on Twitter. Um, you know, I've always believed on, um, I think it was Larry Ellison that said at Oracle, let's talk about internet security or internet privacy. You have none. So <laughs> if you know my name, you can basically find me at any, uh, in any iteration on different social networks. 
Uh, I just think the advice I have, having done a lot of startups, is you know it's <laughs> it's it's it can be a grind. You always have to um, be willing to get back up um, and be curious, be eternally curious. That's that's the great thing about our industry. It is changing daily, as you guys know. I mean, there's something exciting every day happening. That's what keeps me going. Ah, well, thanks a lot, Mark, for being on the show. Um, super fun. We'll follow you on Twitter, of course, and we you know look forward to your. My pearls of wisdoms, yeah. Your observations <laughs> about the changing, the changing landscape. It's uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I think um, experimentation is, is fun in this space because sometimes you wind up with really unanticipated results. It's exactly right, you know, especially for startups looking to to break into big brands. You know, we we advise executives and marketing, especially, to say, carve out a little money to do this, just to try it. It may fail, but at least you'll learn something. But right. you know, and if you get that 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 hit. Um, you know, you're on the cover of uh, Advertising Age, you know. Right, right, right. Fun stuff. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for being on the show. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you all next week.